Ladles and Jelly Spoons. Welcome to Truth, Love and Peace. This is episode number 57. And today, Ken Trucks. Thank you so much for joining me, Ken. Good having day. me over at your wonderful home. This is beautiful. Glad this for is you awesome. to be here. Heck yeah. So we've been sitting here having a wonderful conversation already. And um, the, the, the line that got me so antsy that I had to go ahead and pull the trigger on all this is you said that when, it, when you got to W, campaign-wise, it wasn't any fun. And so the backstory there is you have a lot of experience yeah. in political campaigns. Yes. And um, uh, yeah, take, it, take it away. Yeah. Well, I'll give you just a little bit sure. of background. Yeah, um, please do, please do. Um, I ran for office in 1982 and 83. Mm -hmm. And the 82 was a scheduled campaign for the state house. And um, that was in the days we could not find candidates. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd already worked in some local campaigns, uh, Mayor George Siebel's of Birmingham. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a poll watcher for him. The guy that owned the company that I worked for at that time, he would invite me to uh, fundraisers for different people. So I began to know the Republican in Jefferson County, yeah. in Alabama. So um, in 82, when we ran, the election was thrown out by the judge because the districts were wrong. Mm. They weren't, they didn't meet federal standards. This is a gerrymandering issue. So we immediately ran back in 83. Uh, and of course, like I say, we did not have a lot of statistics that we now use mm -hmm. to determine what's the district, what's winnable. Um, my degree is in mathematically, so mathematics. So when we got around to looking at campaigns different after, and I lost both. Now in the second one, uh, the district came out in such a way that there were two Democrats mm. and one Republicans. Mm. So the Democrat party in that year decided that they would not have a primary. So they threw the guy that had beat me off before off the ballot and put the other guy that was in the district mm. in as a candidate against me. Mm. So the guy that had beat me before that was a Democrat, he filed as an independent. And he had been in Montgomery for four terms, something like that, 16 years. And the campaign then become, became a matter of money. The campaign that he ran was the most expensive one at that time for either the House or the Senate. His campaign spent $40,000. And in 1983, that was a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my campaign spent about $6,700. Wow. And we beat the Democrat. Yeah. And we lost by a couple hundred votes to the independent. Oh, man. So then the party kind of picked me up and uh, decided that they wanted me to help them. So in 84, mm -hmm. Reagan Bush, second Reagan Bush, um, the chairman of the Jefferson County Party appointed me her vice chairman. Mm -hmm. And I worked with the Reagan, Reagan people that came in to run the, the Reagan-Bush campaign. And when you have a national campaign, um, a lot of people come in to help you organize, okay? So I did that with the committee. And then the following year, I became the county chairman 
in Jefferson County. And also the sixth district chairman. And these were won by election by the committees. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, that entitled me to serve on the state committee. Okay. And then in 86, when we won the governor's office with Guy Hunt, the state party, I was a hired position then hmm. for running six campaigns throughout the state of Alabama that had a shot at winning against incumbent Democrats. Yeah. We had selected these campaigns based on information we had about voter registration, uh, different items that we put in the, in the system. Mm -hmm. uh, out of the six, we won four. And uh, the four actually became well-funded campaigns because they, you know, they were real prominent in their neighborhood or in their district. So one was the senator, three were house members. And uh, after doing that, um, again, I stayed with the county, and in 86, uh, for the first time since we, as Republicans, we, we won a lot of races when Goldwater was on the ticket in the yeah. South, yeah. the Republicans. But that year, as chairman of the county committee, uh, we were organized enough and had enough money coming in at that time where we elected three judges, county judges, mm -hmm. and two county commissioners. And those were the first Republicans that were elected since Goldwater. So after that, I went to work for one of the county commissioners and then Guy Hunt took me to Montgomery. And I worked in, in the ADO office and the DECA office and traveled the state again for him. The last program I managed was Job Training Partnership, which was an $82 million federal program. Wow. So, so anyway, that's pretty much my background gotcha. in politics um, as far as running campaigns. And the Republican Party taught me how to run campaigns, yes. what you needed to know, yeah. what you needed to look for, how they needed to make speeches, how they needed to contact the mm -hmm. press, you know, just the whole shoot, how to run phone banks. Mm -hmm. so, so anyway, that's what got me started, and that's what ultimately ended it. It just got, it just got so it wasn't any fun anymore. Yeah. So, uh, so the last, uh, you know, starting in about 95, I retired yeah. and quit. And, uh, but anyway, the party out. has changed so much. Sure, sure. Um, you know, it has, uh, back in the day, Reagan's time, mm -hmm. Uh, you felt like there were four things that the Republican Party was interested in. Mm -hmm. Okay, balanced budget. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Which we don't have balanced budget anymore. Yeah. Because when they get to reach the limit, then they have a continuing resolution and raise the budget amount sure. that they can follow. Uh, the other times... Because of the Fed. The other thing we were interested in is term limits. Yeah. But not just term limits. I mean, the president has a term limit. Mm -hmm. Which means all his people have term limits, right, right. his or our people. Uh, but we need them on the Congress. We need them on the Senate and the House. Yeah. And the Constitution needs to be changed so that the federal judges will not be in there for a lifetime. Yeah, because that was written when lifetimes weren't 100 years. Yeah, some of them, I mean, a lot of them that are on there now are, are pretty old. And some of them have died in there. They've been there so long. Mm -hmm. so, so, but those things can only be done by constitutional amendments, mm -hmm. okay?
And those are the two most important things. The other thing that the Republicans have always been interested in is eliminating pork from the budget. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Now, in the 80s, it was all about, oh, you got to <laughs> cut the fat, cut the pork. As, as, a, as an example, the Vulcan in Birmingham, which is a yep. big deal mm -hmm. for the city of Birmingham, they had to completely rebuild it because it was coming apart. They had to take it down, weld it all back together and do all the things that rebuild the platform. Mm -hmm. And one of the budgets several years ago had like $3 million worth of rebuilding Vulcan. Now that's important to the people of Birmingham, but I don't know how important it is to the people that are in California and, you know, and, and I know they have their own pork and it's probably a lot more than ours, but pork is not the way to balance a budget. Definitely not. No. Definitely not. So anyway, that's my background. There you go. There <laughs> oh, you go. one other thing. I do understand the Electoral College because really? I was an elector for George H.W. Bush, oh. first Bush, when, when he ran as vice president, got elected. Um, me and eight other people sat in a room in Montgomery, filled out a budget, I mean a ballot, and sent it to Washington and it was read in the house. Now I have a question on that. Uh, is there a difference between being an elector and knowing what the Electoral College actually does. Because I didn't think anybody actually knew what the Electoral College well, did. Well, <laughs> interesting, yeah. They send you a book oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that explains it to you. But here's how we're gonna rob the people of their vote. <laughs> so it's in well, the title yeah, of the book. As an aside to that, uh, in the last 20 years, yeah. three people that have won the Electoral College mm -hmm. did not win the majority vote. Yeah, yeah. And that's happened three times mm -hmm. in the last 20 something years. Mm -hmm. So it, is there a problem with it? Yes, I think so. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I participated in it, I understood it. Um, and I read a book, it's called The Quartet. This came out maybe four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. I, read, I read a lot and I read about real people. Yeah. I, I'm not a big fiction guy. Me too. But anyway, it was about the four most influential people that when we moved from a federation mm -hmm. to a constitutional Republican, mm -hmm. Republic. And uh, it explained how they explained the parts of the Constitution that the states were opposed to at that time. And right. one of them was the Electoral College. Yeah. And it was supposed to make it a fair rather than just based on New York at that time was big sure. population. Mm -hmm. And so in order to balance, they, you know, Georgia would have had almost nothing if they had not designed uh, Alabama and none of it. None of it. Uh, although I don't think Alabama was in at that time, Georgia was. Mm -hmm. But I understand it, mm -hmm. uh, and I still am opposed to it. Yeah. But again, it takes a constitutional amendment. Yeah. Now, people think that the only way you can get a constitutional amendment is by the House and Senate passing it and put it on the ballot. But in the Constitution, if people in the states 
can feel like the Congress is not doing what they need to do mm -hmm. to address the real issues of the country. Mm -hmm. Two-thirds of the states can pass an amendment mm -hmm. that they want added to the Constitution. And if two-thirds of the state pass that and send it to Washington, then the Senate has to vote on it. So it can be done, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. But it is a difficult process, mm -hmm. and to get two-thirds of our 50 states together, I mean, they can't get together on most things anyway. Right. And to get two-thirds of them together uh, is, a, is a tough chore, but it can be done. And there was a guy that put out a book a few years ago. It was called Freedom Amendments. And he had 14 amendments he wanted to add to the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And most people would go for those. Mm -hmm. However, Congress is not going to address them. Of course not. Uh, and, and in 90 or 92, might have been 90, Newt Gingrich, who was the Speaker at the House at that time, mm -hmm. put together a contract with America. Do you remember that? No. He, no. I, was, I, was well, I was 12 years old, man. I was running around <laughs> well, you, playing yeah, in mud puddles. No, you would not remember that. Not at all. Uh, but anyway, he had but a contract with America. I'm, on a side note, I'll tell you what I do know about Newt Gingrich comes entirely from a Gallagher stand-up special that my parents used to let me watch about from leap year in the early 80s, the leap year marathon. That's the majority of what I know about Newt Gingrich was okay. from a bit that Gallagher did about draining the swamp in the 80s. And yeah. Look how far we've come. I remember, I remember Gallagher. Me too. <laughs> he was great. We great. used to watch that four hour special over and over yeah. and over again. And I can just, I can see the image of the little Newt Gingrich frog sitting on the lily pad. <laughs> And the whole bit about the the swamp and how yeah. which who croaks the oh goodness gracious so anyway, Newt Gingrich. I don't remember exactly how many people that he elected, but he was in a, a position and got enough because he was still Speaker of the House at mm -hmm. that time. And when when they got him up there, they elected him again. Yeah. Now, two years later, they got rid of him. So. Uh, but they never fulfilled on the term limits that was in there. What they decided to do was to limit each committee chairman to two terms on the committee yeah. as chairman. And so, and they called that term limits, but all that did was, uh, right. it, didn't, it didn't help the problem. So, yeah. 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 You look at how much presidents make after they come out of office, or any elected official. Well, that's, uh, that's even uh, one of my... One of my friends got elected in that process yeah. from my district. Is he a millionaire now? And he went up there, and and also uh, Mayor uh, Governor Bob Riley got elected in that thing. Mm -hmm. And he went up there and stayed actually three terms, and quit and came back to Alabama. Wow. And my friend Spencer Backus, mm -hmm. he went up there. I think he stayed maybe five or six, and he quit and came back. Hmm. And both of them's comment was they couldn't get anything done up there. Yeah. So Bob Riley got elected governor, and uh, I think Spencer is now a lobbyist. <laughs> That's what a lot of them do when they get out there. Yep. They have to wait a couple of years, but then they become lobbyists. 
Yeah. Now he was an attorney, and and uh, really a nice guy. He was. He was, and he did a good job up in Congress, and so did Bob Riley. Uh, but again, it was just fighting the swamp, like you talk about. Yeah. But they got tired of it. Yeah. Yeah. The but, oligarchy. Uh, but anyway, that's my background, and that's what I have. You know, that's yeah. to get you. Uh, asking some questions or making some comments about what I've said, whatever. Yeah. Oh man, I was fully prepared. My preparation route went back to uh, thinking about the rhetorical presidency. And uh, that was a course that I took when I was in school. I studied, okay. I studied rhetoric and communication. So I was very fascinated with the way that politics worked as a motivator. Um, and so when I was thinking about what we would end up talking about, it was, uh, it was a lot to do with how you saw then and now um, the shape of things in the moment as well as the bigger picture, but also on a, on a meta level, one of the things that I'm fascinated by is these generational shifts. You know, we talked about earlier mm -hmm. and how we have, have this, this conundrum where even Thomas Jefferson in the Constitution said that every, every 20 years we should rewrite the Constitution so that the new generation can put into terms the ideals of the nation that we all share and, and, and uphold. And so we have now effectively five generations, four for sure, that um, between the youngest and, and the eldest, right now the eldest are leading us, and the, the disparate realities are such that, I mean, even within the last two generations, in the time frame that we're talking about, we've seen social media become a real influence in elections versus uh, what has commonly been known as the 40-year shift in politics, where we see these predictable uh, every 40 years, mm -hmm. something flips. You know, the Republican Party becomes the Dixiecrats going way, way back. Yeah. You know, all the way up to you see these shifts between Republicans adopting Democratic ideals and vice versa, uh, as well as the shifts of individual ideals, which you experienced going through through a lot of what you went through. And so the story that you have now, what's your perspective on how it's changed? Yeah. Well, I think there is hope. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I think I've read, I keep hearing about the millennium. The millennials? Uh, yeah, the millennials. Yeah, yeah. The children. And what I've read about them uh -huh. and some of the polls that's done about them, mm -hmm. I really think that they can change the whole philosophy because before they're a good sized generation. Yeah, but let's pause there. So philosophy, you think they can change the philosophy. Do you think the philosophy's really changed? Well, because our, I feel like a lot of the American ideals are still the same. Yeah, they are the same, but they get just like everything else. Uh, one generation looks at them so differently from another generation the because of what they live through. Yeah, just, I, I got you. I, I mean, you. you know, the, uh, uh, the people, my generation was involved with Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And we certainly look at things different than the ones that were involved in World War II yeah. 
yeah. or the Korean War, mm -hmm. even even different. Yeah. Uh, and and other than from then on out, like our grandchildren and our children, they've really not been involved in anything. What I mean, they've been in some economic slowdowns. Mm -hmm. uh, some a lot slower than others. Mm -hmm. um, and, but they have not been in any real war situations, really. I mean, Afghanistan was not what I would call, I mean, it's a major conflict for us, mm -hmm. and with NATO involved it is, but, but again, what, what it was trying to do is to change a, company, a, a country's philosophy and make it a Democrat. And all countries can't be Democratic, by the way. They, right. It's just not gonna work. But I think this millennial, they seem, and it's because of the, their, their computer generated, their iPhones and mm -hmm. those kind of things. And I think that in itself can make them better informed. Yeah. And the rest of us are going to die off. As we do. You know, as we do. And uh, most all of the, uh, the people involved in World War II most all of them are now gone. I mean, there's still some around, yeah. uh, but most of them are gone. The Vietnam group, they're getting older, mm -hmm. and you know, most of them are now retired. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I really think that this this the people that are um, savvy with all this yeah. are going to be better at sorting out information. Yeah, a lot of people vote on emotion. Yeah, totally. Yeah, emotion. Maybe what the guy says, or maybe what he what they do. Same way they argue on Facebook. Yeah, it's all emotion. Right? And 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 the Twitter and everything else. Right. Where I think the new generation is so used to this, yeah. is they know how to sort out mm -hmm. the 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 BS from yeah. the good stuff. Yeah, it's a know? phenomenon that I've I've loved studying over over. You know, I, I mentioned I study communication, and there's a communication theory that goes into the way that we filter out information based on all the stuff that we already know, and how we have these these predictors that say, well, that might matches up with most of what I believe, so we can readily accept that. And there's all kinds of psychological studies that go into exactly what you're saying. As human beings, we have refined and developed these ways of doing that when it's coming from another person. But I think we're watching evolution in action where the, a whole generation like the millennials is having to learn how to do that in a whole new medium. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason that fake news or you know, this Russian bots or whatever have gotten away with it so easily because we don't have these highly developed and highly adept senses of bullshit detection yeah. in the digital space, the way that we do in the public sphere. Yeah. And, and, with, and with us, our generation, a lot of us, especially the older guys like me, I mean, when I was performing the last part of my work life, mm -hmm. we were just getting into uh, using computers, not laptops, I mean, desk models, yep, yep. in communicating with our staff. I mean, we were just learning that process in Email the was 80s. Brand new. And, and, and now, uh, these new generations, they learn it from the time they start playing with one of these things as mm -hmm. a kid, playing games. Yeah. Uh, and we don't, we don't filter out 
everything on a Twitter or on a, I don't even have a Facebook page. Lucky you. So, uh, <laughs> so anyways, I don't want to, I don't want to get involved in it. I don't blame you one bit. You know, That's I, a I, smart I, I got move. that out. But, but interestingly enough, President Obama, he won both elections yeah. because of the fact that he had such computer savvy people yep. that knew how to use the Facebook, use the, you know, use yeah. the internet. So since you bring him up, what do you think of David Axelrod? What as I a, think of what? David Axelrod as a campaign manager. As a campaign like, manager. I thought that dude was amazing. I, the book, the television, the, or the revolution will not be televised. Yeah. I'm a fan, but yeah. well, but you know more he, about campaign well, management than I do. Well, he's he he is he is a great campaign person. He sure. was he was really good, and he Got proved the job it. done twice. <laughs> I should say he proved it. Um, but going back to, <clears throat> let's go back a few years. Reagan had this thing about not talking bad about your fellow Republicans. Okay, right. <laughs> that go <laughs> that where did that go? <laughs> What it did, in my opinion, this is my opinion and it's mine alone. Um, when George W. Bush ran, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. he had Lee Atwater and Carl Rove as his two go-to people who molded his organization. Mm -hmm. Okay, and he started they started the attack on the individual candidates that were running. Mm. And it was especially bad on some of them. Now, it, it wasn't so outward like getting on TV and jumping all over them. Mm -hmm. But that started the move. Mm -hmm. And at the, sometime during there, uh, Ronald Reagan moved away from the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And they asked him why, and his comment was, I didn't leave the party, the party left me. Boom! And that was his comment. And so things have, things have moved, and this last Republican primary, mm -hmm. it started with 12 or 14 people in there. Mm -hmm. That was unheard of. It was huge. It, it was. was that was that was just that was just a lot of right. people, right? And they all started uh, splitting up the votes. Yeah, hadn't okay. learned anything from the third party ruining it yeah. for everybody else in and the last start, how many thirty years? Yeah, goodness. It, it would it would take after the first primary, two or three of them dropped out. Sure. After the next one, some more. And so, but even at the end. There were still like six candidates in there. Yeah, what do you do with that? And, and so, so that, that really kind of shattered the party. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really did, it, it, it did. And they would get on television mm -hmm. and say things about the guy standing next to them. Mm -hmm. And that was just something that I really couldn't handle. Yeah. I mean, me personally, because, you know, I've run against other Republicans and I've worked against some that were my friends. I never said anything negative about them, mm -hmm. never. And I wouldn't have my campaign people say that either. So it's just not, well, it's not only the not the right thing to do in politics, it's not right 
thing to do in relation to your next door neighbor. Sure. Or anybody else you run into on the street. Mm -hmm. It's just not the thing to do. It makes things sticky. So, so that's, where, that's where I saw the politics really change. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hang on just a second. But anyway, I... I Hang on just a second. I have to reset that every once in a while. Go ahead. But anyway. I, I do think that there's hope. I mean, yeah. there's always got to be hope. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and uh, it's I gonna think keep we'll getting come back. better or worse one or the other. <laughs> That's right, you know. And, and I, think, I think that we, you know, we're living in also a, a smaller world now. Yep. I mean, because of everything electronic that's going on mm -hmm. and our interaction. And we, we all are more dependent on other people. I mean, you know, 20, 30 years, uh, well, 40 years ago, you were depending on the people in your immediate neighborhood. I mean, everybody helped everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, Community. And, and so, you know, you were dependent on those people. If something was going wrong in your family or something, you depended on. But now the world's, a, the, you gotta depend on uh, people from Mexico. You gotta depend on people from China. They can't all be your enemies. Right. Because we need them. They need us and we need them. Yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, it's the like Republicans have, have, have always been uh, free traders. Sure. I mean, you know, it, they, NAFTA and, and you know, the all, all the other ones that that been there. We were free traders, but we're not now, apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I do have hope. And I think that's the generation that's going to bring us where we mm -hmm. need to go. I'm... I agree with you. I think some of the, the great points that I see coming out now is, uh, as a student of artificial intelligence and social networking, I am fascinated by the transparency that's coming. Like it or not, transparency, like 100% transparency is coming. Yeah. I've got a joke about how one day people will look back at this point in history and they'll say this was the high point of hypocrisy because so many windows are becoming transparent now that you can just look and see and be like, look at that dude's a liar. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at that dude's a liar. And it's just day after day after day of truth coming out. You know, all, yeah. of, all of this stuff that, just the truth is inevitable. One of the reasons to call it truth, love, and peace is truth, love, and peace is my philosophy. And, yeah. and the reason that it's truth is because the truth is inevitable. So sooner or later, and especially in an age that is highly transparent and called the information age, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, people are gonna look back and go like, Good, can you believe some of the lies people bought? <laughs> <laughs> Un, unimaginable. But I do also have hope that because of the interconnectedness that we see, we, um, uh, we can be hopeful for a lot of reasons. Not just from the, we have better access to information to make better decisions, but tell me if you wanna dabble in this realm of conversation, I've also been trying to piece together the way that the concept of the collective consciousness, you know, prayer groups are more effective than praying by yourself. Meditation groups are more effective than meditating by yourself mm -hmm. in a lot of circumstances. Um, but we know that when we have these big mass prayers and these big mass gatherings, that they have positive impacts. And so without getting too far into the collective consciousness, we know there's something going on when a whole bunch of people pay attention to the same thing. Yeah. Look at moments of disaster if you really need, you know, anybody that wants to challenge it. In moments of disaster, uh, people come out 
in a hurry. And I, uh, sorry, I saw a flashing light over there and I got concerned. I don't know why that's flashing, but whatever. <laughs> it's making me nervous. Collective consciousness, back to my philosophy. Uh, so that's my OCD when it gets off track. Okay. It's <laughs> away we go. So, uh, you're not at that old for that to happen like it does with the rest of us. <laughs> no, it's the fact that there are like six different trains of thought going on and I'm hopping between them. And so I get easily distracted and going back and forth, the multiple levels of the conversation. And so what I was thinking was the collective consciousness in a way has been exposed even more so through social media. And one of the things that the millennials have access to is this this thing that connects us that for a long time has been solely spiritual. Nobody could touch, nobody could put their hands on it, but now we're starting to be able to measure it. Mm -hmm. And social media seems to be a window into that in some way, shape or form where you can't, you can't get away with the do as I say and not as I do anymore yeah. because the truth is inevitable. And so I hope that, that the millennials will, will not only as a matter of fact, bring about sound judgment, but as a matter of principle, will bring back some sound judgment in that parties don't leave people and that people are parties. Our part. You know, just to go tie a big bow on, the, on that mm -hmm. whole thing. See, multiple trains, man, you gotta tie all that together. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm hopeful too that the millennials having access to, to information are in the process of figuring out how to do right by that much information. Like we said earlier, you know, extrapolating out the meaning of things and sussing out the good from the bad. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful for the millennials too. I really do, I'm liking this collective consciousness thing. I keep harping on that because yeah. that's one of my, my to-dos, but I think it is the negativity. You know, I keep bouncing back to the, the, the Reagan quote um, in that the, the negativity is, is where it's gone horribly wrong. And it's this inability for people to pull back and accept the negativity in themselves and say, okay, I need to deal with this. Yeah. Instead of projecting it out on all these other things and on all these other places and say, okay, let's call a spade a spade. I've, I have an issue or have made a mistake or I have an opinion that I need to update and this incredulity towards wanting to grow and change has just gotten so bad that, that we have a swamp and it's stagnated to the point, <laughs> not just culturally, but politically, you know? Yeah. The, the, yeah. I, heard, so I heard something really cool, and this will be our bridge into as much as you want to talk about the spiritual nature of politics, uh, or we can just let it lie. The, the analogy that we all have dark passengers spiritually you know as as individuals we all carry with us this ability to be primal animal we all have dark passengers and so uh, anytime you have a culture that that has that has you know a dark side which every culture does yeah that there comes a point when if it goes unresolved or unattended to then it will manifest itself as the leader of that culture which is a very interesting analogy for you know, we can point fingers at specific individuals, but we can also point it to the larger picture of the state of the government has become this thing that doesn't well represent the people, I, I don't think. Yeah. Well, you can pick or choose any of that stuff you want to talk about. Yeah. Well, I think one, I think one of the reasons why they don't 
represent us as a collective group so well yeah. is because we used to kid about it. When they get to Montgomery, they, get, they start drinking the Alabama River, so they get Alabama River fever. <laughs> and when they get to Washington, they drink water from the Potomac, and then they get Potomac fever, and what happens to them? Um, if you look at past elections, you've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 90-something percent, and I don't know the exact number, that even if somebody runs against them, if everybody was run against at one time, 90-something mm -hmm. percent of them would go back in because of the money. Yeah. Because it's hard for a candidate to run against a sitting incumbent. Sure. Uh, he's been in there, he's got contact organizations, and he's got money. Mm -hmm. And when they put these super PACs together, there a couple of years ago, uh, McCain and Fango passed a, a law contributing, and the House and the Senate both both on. And when it went to the Supreme Court, all of a sudden we all found out that companies have the right to free speech. Because back in the 90s they were given personhood. Yeah. And so, so, so that got all kicked out because of uh, the free suits. Now these super PACs are set up. Mm -hmm. And as long as they don't consult with the candidate, they can spend for as much money as they want to and they can buy as much advertising and they can mm -hmm. do. And a couple of the bigger super PACs are run by the Senate and the House. <laughs> which, But it's not a popularity <laughs> contest. Yeah. It's not a popularity it's, contest, and it's not and popularity it, is not based on money, and it, it's not a, a contest necessarily about beliefs either. Right. And when you get up there, and I got to go to Washington one time, we had a meeting. We're glad you made it out alive. At, with the, the, I had the the uh, the, the uh, vice chairman of the Republican Party who used to be here in Alabama. He called me up there for us. He needed to talk to me about some stuff. Uh, but anyway, I went out one night with a couple of the people up there that I knew, and we went to a, a bar right down the street from uh, where the Republican Party headquarters is. It's also close to the Capitol. And all of these legislators were in there, the senators and the House members, and, and the place was full of lobbyists. And they were interacting with these guys and I know what they were, and it's just like it's in Montgomery, mm -hmm. all the lobbyists up there. And they're patting them on the back, and they're funding their campaign or giving them campaign money. And at the same time, they're telling these guys how great they are and how smart they are. And after a while, you tend to believe that. Right, and then they show up <laughs> on my Facebook page and it goes horribly wrong for them. Yeah. And so, so it, it's not, they buy into a culture. Yeah. And that was one of the things that the founding fathers were afraid of. Mm -hmm. uh, they thought that people would go to Washington or Philadelphia for a while, and they would go up there, and they would be up there for a few years serving their country, and then they'd go back home and work their fields or do their, you know, whatever the kind of business they were in. Mm -hmm. But they did not intend or even think that it would become a career mm -hmm. for
for these guys. And this is a good place to, to go back to, I mentioned rhetorical presidency and, and this studying the, the rhetoric of the communication of, of elected officials. And uh, the f it's kind of a theory that I was working on, but I'd love to get your opinion on it, uh, especially now. As you said, one of the hardest things to do is, is to maintain the ideology of, of a geography when you leave that geography. And how do you then, how do you stay in touch with the people of that locale while you're far away? Once upon a time, really, really hard. Now, a little less difficult thanks to communication aids. But then the question becomes, once you win the election, is it even possible to represent the ideals you ran on? based on the disconnect between the time frame at which the Washington wheels turn versus the wants and demands and desires of the populace. We think of that for yeah. an idea. <laughs> I see it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think they say the, uh, the way it was, the House and Senate were set up uh, the House members run every two years, mm -hmm. okay? And that was so they would be closer to the, to the people and more understanding. Mm -hmm. But I think the districts are becoming, well, there's a lot more people. The problems are a lot more complex. Mm -hmm. And if you're out of that cycle, even though you may take, right now they're on a five-week break preparing for the election in November. Yeah. And other than that they're up there they're they're living in a different world yeah yeah and i think i think after they've been up there you know six or eight years they are totally disconnected from here yeah now they have offices long, here or maybe you know the senators well they have a room with a phone in it i wouldn't call it an office yeah that's true that's <laughs> true because a lot of their work is done uh, of course they get you know they send out stuff, I guess. They used to. You were always getting, if you were on their mailing list, you're always getting something oh, because everything is free up there to them. Postage is free. Mm -hmm. don't, you know, it's, it's part of their office budget, I guess. Mm -hmm. but, um, but anyway, yeah, after you've been up there for a while, and I don't think it would take too long with all these people telling you how important you are and how great you are to really become a, not a common man. Yeah, to use, sure, use a word. Sure. Well, and it amazes me that we've come this far and not heard this conversation uh, in you know from a lot higher belfries. Yeah. Uh, because it's not new. Samuel Clemens, one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes, is He's, any man that can get himself elected doesn't deserve the office. Yeah. I love it <laughs> because it's so true. And now it's. Like you said, with the corporations having access to campaign finance, uh, it's, it's, um, it's a money game now. It's yeah. a money game now. And social media has kind of changed that, but we're in the process of monetizing social media anyway. Yeah. So it's, and because uh, what I think is funny about it is uh, everyone is, or 
certain people are anti-socialists, they're anti-community. Well, okay, so I, you know, being a communications guy and a rhetoric guy, I love the terminology of it. And so when people talk about party divisions, they're like progressive or conservative. I'm like, well, one, time goes forward. Time does not conserve anything. Yeah. Good luck with that. Stop the sand <laughs> through the hourglass. Let me know how it works out. Check back in a couple of weeks. Uh, 30 seconds at a time, wasting your life. You're not going to stop it. <laughs> Sand's going to go every time. Uh, so, so you have these phenomenon. I totally forgot where I was going. I got all lost in this little sand reference. Um, I really did forget where I was going with that one. Anyway. You'll come back, are you? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get back around to it. I really did just totally lose my train of thought coming up with a sand joke. <laughs> <laughs> since, Sorry. Since, since you mentioned it, did yeah. you read the, um, the life story of, of uh, Mark Twain? You know, it couldn't be mm -hmm. published until so many years mm -hmm. after his death. Yeah. And then when the book came out, the first volume was like this. Thing. I read it. It had some of the funniest stuff in it that uh, I've ever read. Amazing. Amazing, and, dude. And in our little town of Columbiana, mm -hmm. we had a gentleman who uh, would dress like Mark Twain yeah. and do an hour and a half stand up quoting him. Yeah. And it was all a ride. Oh, and he dressed like he looked like him. Yeah. And he'd walk around on the stage. Uh, and, and he, uh, I mean, he was just hilarious. And so, yeah, he's one of my favorite writers. And, and, and his life story is something. It, and it is. He had. Um, that's way off the subject. I, since yeah. you mentioned it. But yes, <laughs> you know. we, you well, can, we can always devolve into Mark Twain. That's, that's always a good thing. Yeah, it is. It's, but it's, the, the, the time moving forward, and, and there's, there's no way around that, is part of this, uh, which is going to get to the questions that I'm curious about. What do you think? From from your campaign days about gerrymandering, and I, I won't have wanted to double back to this, and since I can't remember well, where I'm going, we're going to use this opportunity. Let me tell you, it's a, it's a big item. Yeah. And originally, it was about minorities, and and other folk whites. Sure. I mean, you know, that's, that's why they that was one of the ways they did it. But now it's about party. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. The and. Several districts have already been told, and they've run some special election lately off the, where the judges have said, you got to redraw, okay? Now, Alabama is still in court about their last one. Mm -hmm. And I think what they're trying to do is drag it out until we get the next one in 20, 2020. But anyway, our district, yeah. in order to make sure it's a Republican up in central Alabama, our senator lives 46 miles from where the county seat in Shelby County is in a next county up. Shouldn't be allowed. And our house member, he lived not in our Shelby County. So, so it was gerrymandered uh, to to make as many Republican districts as they can. Mm. So, and, and nowadays, all you need is a good mathematician and look at the numbers, how they voted, yeah. and, and 
and some districts at one time. The seventh district in Alabama runs from one side of Birmingham all the way down to Selma, Alabama. And that's the only black district we have in Alabama right now. What? And it runs through like six counties or that's something. That's way worse than I thought it was. Oh, you need to look at a map. That's horrible. <laughs> I mean, I've seen some horrible but gerrymandering anyway, it, maps. It's but. not fair. And who it's not fair to, it's not fair to the people. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's a lot of Democrats in the 6th District, but it doesn't matter. They're thrown into this, you know, they're thrown in so that it will be a, and not just a 60-40 split. I mean, it's probably 80-20, yeah. something like that. So it's, gerrymandering is a bad thing, and that's why it's outlawed. Yeah. But to get it enforced, because the state legislatures draw it. Yeah. Okay. And the first thing they were interested in is protecting themselves. Sure. I mean, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's they've won and sacrificed to mm-hmm. get elected. So they're going to protect themselves first and foremost. Well, tell me if you think this would work. Uh, my brother and I, we, uh, we altered our states of consciousness. And uh, we're sitting around the campfire, had a nice little whiskey drink. And uh, we came up with this master plan for districts. And, uh, and it gets around the Electoral College, too, to go back to the Electoral College. So if we can solve the Electoral College and gerrymandering, tell me what you think of our solution. Districts that are circles, that become concentric circles based on concentric circles and Venn diagrams based on population density. So New York, for instance, or we'll take Montgomery, which is familiar for both of us. So Montgomery, based on the population density from the capital center going out, determines how large the ring is. Should be. Yeah, and so you, if you have huge population density, teeny tiny ring. Right. And then the next seat of power, you, you have all of these circles. Mm-hmm. That way you can't change the lines, but the circles kind of overlap. And so you need your neighbor's consent to not do stupid shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gets a little bit of a say, yeah. but it uh, but it's based on on the it's based on these population density centers, yeah. as opposed to these contrived things. Yeah. Would something like that work from your perspective? Just since you've been there, well, I put you on the spot too bad. But what do you think of our idea? Well, yeah, it's not a bad idea. I don't think you could get it worked. Well, of course not, because it's, cause it's <laughs> yeah. good. It's a good um, idea. Yeah. Nobody would buy it. <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it would, it, the way they, what you, the, it would be ideal, like you're yeah. talking about. Sure. sure. Because where the, some of the districts, like R6, runs through um, one, two, three, four. It's already too many. <laughs> <laughs> it runs through at least four counties, and I'm thinking it touches in a fifth one. God, that's so and and it, it makes, uh, I don't have anything in common yeah. with those people uh, like our, our representative. He lives in a rural area, really, yeah. uh, up around uh, Springville, Alabama, mm-hmm. which is more rural. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in Springville drive to Birmingham to work. Jefferson County, uh, but it's more rural, and we're more 
Shelby County is real cosmopolitan. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's one of the larger counties in the state. Yeah. As fast as growing, and it's got you know, it's it's uh, very cosmopolitan. Uh, got a high degree of uh, people who finish college. Uh, it's got a great school system. Uh, when the people were moving in for the plant that was built, uh, the Toyota, Honda, whatever, whatever one was built over in Talladega, a lot of those people that were moving in to manage that plant came into Shelby County because of the school system. Cool. So, so doing good. they're doing all right. And it's a public school system and, and they do a great job there. Good. Uh, and, and like I say, I'm not sure how you could draw these circles that anybody would buy into it. Uh, the general population would. Yeah, well, that's why I'm not getting elected anytime yeah. soon. You know, running on common sense doesn't seem <laughs> yeah. to get you very far. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking of future running on common sense, um, and this is way away from, from campaign management, but are you familiar with any of the candidates coming up? Young, the guy that's uh, advertising UBI or is promoting universal basic income in the 2020 election? I have, I have totally gotten out. Okay, I mean, then we'll talk about now, something else. I, I am familiar with some of the, the candidates that are running uh, here in Alabama this year. Um, you know, uh, we don't have to talk about any of them if you don't yeah. want to. I was, no, no, I was using no, that as no, a segue no, into education uh, and uh, funding because that goes well, back to what we were talking about. With we're probably going to remain exactly where we are in education we, and everything. We, we as in Alabama. We as in Alabama. We as in Alabama. For the listeners, yeah, we're uh, going. We're going to remain at the bottom of the rung. And the reason is, and in, in I know money don't solve all problems, but I think when you're one of the most underfunded education system in the United States, that's what you get. Yeah. And until we figure it, because Republicans, no new taxes. Um, and, and that's what they stand on, even when the budget's in trouble. Um, now, what they did several years ago mm -hmm. is um, our trust fund that was set up under Fob James for the oil and gas money that comes into the state for all oh. these wells you see around. Yeah. That was to be used and couldn't be accepted except for certain purposes. A few years ago, the legislature passed a article um, law now that appeared on the ballot. Mm. And what it did was it allowed them to access the funds. But we need to. <laughs> and it passed overwhelmingly because the people didn't understand what they were doing. There wasn't even at that time a method in there that they were going to have to pay it back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so so somebody called them on that and they did come back and, and put a payback thing in there. But I'm not sure. If you don't have money, I don't see how you can pay it back. But yeah. But anyway, so so that fund is going down in order to balance the budget. Yeah. Yeah. Noam Chomsky. Yeah. Do you follow Noam at all? Pardon? Noam Chomsky. No philosopher. Okay. No, uh, not that one. Universal linguistic dude. Um, whole other thing. We don't have to. He's. 
for anybody that's listening, uh, I'll, I'll toss this out there just for educational purposes, and you may be interested as well. Noam Chomsky is a, a, an, an incredible philosopher. He's probably the preeminent philosopher of our time in, in regards to politics and world issues and all that good stuff. And he has a lot to say about a lot of the stuff that we're talking about from a meta perspective. Um, so check out Noam Chomsky. Okay. One of the points that, uh, that he makes is how, how short-sighted a lot of these government mistakes are in regards to defunding these things that, um, that aren't a big deal in the here and now, or, or at least they seem like not a big enough deal that you can be sneaky and go steal this money, which is mm -hmm. what people are doing. Um, but that it's done under the guise of we can push it off down the road. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and that's a big thing. So hearing you say that made me think of that. Well, that's what's happened to the infrastructure. All of the infrastructure yeah. here in the United States has fallen apart. Yeah, we need a new deal, a new new deal. We need, that's what we need. We yeah. need something like that. A works project. Our highways are, you know, they're they're falling apart and the they're bridges, not big enough. The bridges. <laughs> oh, the bridge ratings are so bad. Yeah. And don't uh, drive across a bridge. If you live in America, don't drive across a bridge. It's in Jefferson, dangerous. In Jefferson County, which I worked for Kidding. a commissioner up there for, I don't know, a total of maybe five years or something. And my wife worked at Jefferson County. Uh -huh. And they went bankrupt because of the fact that they, uh, the, the people up there that were concerned with our rivers in there and how much sewage was going into them, they were ordered to build a bunch of sewer plants. Mm -hmm. And uh, in certain, they one, one they were going to build, they were going to pump the sewage across the mountain. <coughs> and they finished this huge, they dug the tunnel and then they had equipment set in it, and then the uh, the Cobber uh, River Society sued them, and they had to stop work. They've got a tunnel sitting up there underneath the Cobber River with some equipment still sitting in it. But anyway, they filed bankruptcy over, you know, mismanagement. Um, and they I, filed bankruptcy over mismanagement. Yeah, it was very much mismanagement. <laughs> uh, out of the, I, I worked at the commission office, and there were there were nine different commissioners in there. Now mine served two terms, and uh, I worked for him during both terms. At the start of it, and at the end, after I come back out of Montgomery, after they threw Guy Hunt out of office. I got to stay another, I don't know, three or four months because I, I was in the middle of contract management for this JTPA program, uh, $82 million or it reduced by then by about 76 or something. But anyway, so uh, Governor Folsom let me stay around until I got the contracts done because mm -hmm. we were right in the middle of them. I mean, we were already negotiating price and everything. Um, but out of the nine commissioners that I knew personally from working with them and with their departments, mm -hmm. four of them went to jail. Man, I thought you were going to say one more of them, than that, but I'm still surprised you said any of them. One of them copped a deal and oh, got let off because so... she ratted out the other two. So, but anyway, so four out of nine ended up in jail. Oh, it makes, it makes, what a my, number. It makes my muscles just <laughs> well, tense you know, up. I get, oh. Here's the other thing, and I used to say this when I was making speeches around when I ran for office, 
At that time, the whole state was controlled by Democrats. All the counties were controlled by Democrats. And I think it was Plato that had a saying, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was Plato either, but it, whoever it was, saying, and I'm yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. it was him. But anyway, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. If uh, people get in there, they've got, you know, they've got total power. Mm -hmm. It's it it leads to something like happened mm -hmm. in Jefferson County. Mm -hmm. Well, and then term limits as well as um, how do you feel about tying term limits to balanced budgets? Oh, I think the balanced budget is uh, that's always been a thing that Republicans you can't balance support. A budget they seem fired. they seem to have abandoned it right now. Well, because they can't balance it anymore. I think and I <laughs> that's think, out of hand. Yeah, I think that's because. And this is going to be the fun speculation portion of the show. Uh, I think it's just gone so far that now it's all just a money grab. Like the, the house of cards is on fire and coming down. How much money can we grab before it all goes under? <laughs> because it yeah. seems like that's where we're going because it's everybody seems to be totally okay with the fact that the government has been bought and sold and that the interest of the people is not the primary concern of the government anymore. I mean, we have the resources as a nation to live high on the hog, all of us. Oh yeah. And yet we don't. Yeah. And we, we, we let the, the most vulnerable among us, especially the veterans, just, yeah, mm -hmm. good luck. You yeah. Know, you know, it's, well, it's so infuriating to see, yeah. to see the, these people just grabbing at this money and not taking care of people. Yeah. Well, you know, here, here's, sorry, here's a, a about the budget situation. Yeah. Okay, uh, right now, it appears like we're going into a trade war with China, okay? There is several problems with that, but they're beginning to call in the financial circles, China has a nuclear option. They're our biggest debt holder. If they start selling off our debt, Mm -hmm. our interest rates will go up. It could actually, I, they say you can't bankrupt a country, but you can. Oh, you can undermine the dollar's value. Yeah, exactly. Like they're doing right By now. By selling off all the bonds, <laughs> selling off all our, and I think it's over a trillion dollars that they hold. I'm sure it's something ridiculous. I, mean, you know, I don't remember the exact number, but anyway, they are calling it, the economic people are calling it the nuclear option if this thing keeps going yeah. further along. The, the rug that, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the Fed set in motion upon its inception the collapse of the current monetary system. You know, you can't, you can't print a dollar at a dollar 49 and pretend <laughs> like that's sustainable. Yeah. And that's just the current interest rate, yeah. you know, and so yeah. that's. Well, the other thing you can't continue to do is like, uh, for every dollar, and, and this is a number quite a few years back, so I'm not sure, hopefully it's been reduced, but for every dollar that Alabama sends to Washington, they get a dollar and 87 cents back. How in the world does that work? <laughs> You tell, because of the deficit up there and because they're floating bonds everywhere. Oh, because it's not real money anymore. It's not real money. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, yeah, because it, there's not enough money in circulation to pay off the debt. Like it's no. too many ones and zeros. No. Well, and so that's where cryptocurrency comes in. Like I'm not saying Bitcoin is going to save the world, but uh, anything that rivals yeah. the power of the almighty dollar is is a means or is tantamount to and or is the impetus for war these days. Yeah. But so who do you wage war on? Like I hope it's not Elon Musk. They can probably, yeah, <laughs> they can probably figure out a way to make that collapse. Oh, uh, I mean, it, you know, hadn't yet. <laughs> everything, everything has got a problem. I don't know sure. anything about it much. I mean, I know what yeah. it is. I know how quick it came up and I know yeah. how quick the. It's the, a currency uh, contrived on internet yeah. security, basically yeah. digital security. Right. That's kind of the premise. Yeah. I, like I say, I'm not sure exactly what it's based on and they may be able to figure out a way to bust it. If, if you know if it comes because the the last thing we went to yeah we went through a recession in the 80s when I was in the real estate business yeah and at that time the problem was that you couldn't get money I mean for interest in housing I mean you to buy you know could you uh, loan or to get a loan okay. yeah the cheapest interest rate around in 80s gotcha. was VA at like 16%. Good gracious. Yeah. So people couldn't afford it. No, yeah. no. And people that were in houses couldn't afford to keep them. Yeah. And the builders who had gone out there, and I, I had a lot of friends that were in the building business. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole system collapsed. But the only way you'd really know about it is that was the same time that the savings alone you know, we used to have a lot of savings loans and they collapsed in the 80s because of loaning all this money out and then to people that didn't deserve to be loaned money to. Sure, sure. And then they did that again. Housing bubble. In, in the, uh, 2008, when the, mm -hmm. and that started, the collapse of the market actually started in like 04 and 05. Mm -hmm. uh, because 2004, 2005, because they were loaning money to people who could not afford the houses. And when the housing industry collapsed, that just collapsed just about everything else. Yep. And uh, there were people in our neighborhood that were closing on loans and getting money back. What? They had zero in. So it didn't bother them a bit if they had to walk away. Yeah. And all the banks had to eat those and and they loosened the credit uh, so that, you know, it used to be that 30 percent of your income mm -hmm. on monthly mm -hmm. could apply to a house payment. Mm -hmm. Fifty percent was total debt. OK, if you didn't meet those two criteria, you couldn't get a loan. Right. Well, they wiped that out and you just loaned money. Right. People. Right. And then the gas prices went up. Mm hmm almost three dollars and people were driving to work they couldn't afford to do everything mm -hmm. food prices up gas prices up and so the first thing they had to let go was their house yep you had so, to drive to work. so i'm gonna go noam chomsky so if we were if we were listening to noam's analysis of, of that whole situation then then one of the things he would say is that what you're describing is the transition from uh, a country that manufactured products and was productive 
to a country that was is now forced to trade on futures. And so the the imagination of the stock market that is tomorrow is the future of the housing bubble that as it became or all of these things that we hope tomorrow will yield this pushing off of responsibility for climate change for for all oh, of yeah. these things yeah. that um, that in the larger picture uh, we have just lost touch with what it is to be a community to go back to what we were talking about earlier you used yeah. to know your representatives you used to know the people around you yeah. and now we've gotten so far away from it that business isn't even based in the here and now it's based in what steel's doing 15 years from now because if it's not doing good then that means china cashed in their trillion dollars worth of debt the dollar sunk and half of us are speaking chinese <laughs> yeah. i'm not sure about the chinese part that seems that's, like that's a, a way <laughs> over the top <laughs> exaggeration that's yeah just, that's, no but maybe not uh, we're going to be broke one way or the other. No matter which language we'll speak, it you won't know, be gold or silver because we lost those standards years ago. Yeah. One of the ways that <laughs> we caused Russia to fall apart is we got them in an arms race. Yep. Economic destabilization. And we could afford it. And mm -hmm. they couldn't. Yep. And that collapsed the whole Soviet Union mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. to Russia. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that was it. And and Which is why the oil I, fields of Germany was one of the biggest losses they took. Yeah, and, and Germany, uh, I think. Was Germany. Yeah, Germany too. I mean, they had to spend so much on mm -hmm. the wars that that they collapsed. The whole country collapsed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so and, now, and, and yet, and yet, our largest debt is in military. I, our largest expenditures. It, it's it's probably the worst than you think it is. Oh no, I, I know at, very well. I Tell them at, how worse it is I, than they I think. Looked, it I looked at this. I looked at the budget after they got through with it when they finally worked it out, and and twenty one percent of it is military. Okay, that's it. No, now, no, no, no. Twenty one percent is how which part of the military, now, not the whole this, thing. That's no, that's mostly the whole. But let me tell you what they what they did. That can include DARPA funding and all that stuff, though. No, well, like that's got to be. know, this is this is how it was broken out from okay. Congress. I'm okay. curious. But now. here's the here's the curious thing about it. They counted Social Security and Medicare. What mm -hmm. we're on? I'm on Social Security. I have Medicare. Mm -hmm. Okay, that made up. Oh, I forget the number. Thirty something percent. Okay, and that should probably not be in the budget because the military doesn't fund themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're funded with taxes. Mm -hmm. The other things, health care for like Medicaid and, you know, things to run the programs in Washington and, and all those kind of things. The Social Security and Medicare is paid for supposed to be directly into a fund. Right, it's got its own trust. Right, it's got its own trust. But they make it a part of the budget and then they can borrow money from the trust. Right. So, you know, and it's not, been, it's not been changed since the 60s or thereabouts. So that, and of course I've never been in this group, but uh, in the 60s they raised, if you make, I think it's less than a, $150,000 or more than $150,000 after you get to the 150 and that may be a 
bad number. It's just, we're calling this, remember, maybe 132. But anyway, you don't pay into the system after that. And they talk about they need money. It's, it's really simple. All they got to do is do like they did before, raise their retirement age, because mm -hmm. people are living healthier longer. Mm -hmm. People shouldn't, I mean, they don't have to retire at 65. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them don't. And if you raise that number a little higher up, so that the people are paying into it to say even 200,000, mm -hmm. and then make the cutoff there, it would fund a lot more in there. But, but it doesn't make any sense to me since that's supposed to be a funded program and they're still putting money supposedly in that account that is yeah. counted as part. So if you pull that number out of what it is, Social Security and, and Medicare, and I looked up the number, pull it out, that puts the military budget about 56%. That's more accurate, yeah. See, that's, that's the number you were looking for, yep. but I was telling you how they how they sell it to the public. Oh, sure, sure. It's doing it a little different than what you and I think about Oh, yeah, well, the way they sell everything to the public is they fucking lie about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, infuriating. Uh, but, yeah. The, yeah. And, okay, so I mentioned UBI earlier, and since we brought up military funding, um, and since I wrote a snarky comment on somebody's post earlier today about the Blues <laughs> Angels, um, how much war propaganda do we really need? Uh, universal basic income. If we took, say we took, I don't know, how much less military do we need? Call it 10%. If you took 10% of the national budget, so that would, even if it were only 10% of the military's budget, 5% of how many trillions of dollars? You could give every American how much money? Like. You could set up this universal basic income so much faster, which gets into Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security because the same way that those are socialistic programs that have trust funds set up that everybody pays into and yields from, the benefits alone of universal health care become a major contributor to the plan. The gentleman who's running, his plan is to take part of that and so right there, you're making people healthier, you're saving a ton of money in medical and all that good stuff, and you're not taking away from Social Security uh, Trust Fund. So that pretty much covers itself. And then if you take, just, you know, don't build another battleship, and you have enough in a trust fund to send every American that needs it enough money to pay their electric bill this month. Well, sorry, that was my rant for the moment. These ships they're building over, <clears throat> these these new uh, destroyers that they're building in Mobile. Yeah. They're building them, and and they've just approved so many more in this last budget. Yeah. Right now, they do not have qualified people to operate them so, because they're all, you know, it's it's a it's a technical computer everything. Right. If they were drones. Yeah. You have people lined up to operate them. Yeah. And, and so right now they're building them and they don't have technical people no. to My curiosity, if I ever got to interview one of these people, would be um, how are the warships going to stop the Russian bots on Facebook? And, <laughs> uh, and two, what exactly is the military budget doing to, uh, you know, prevent the tariff war? 
<laughs> well, like our military budget is just we're, we're just burning yeah. cash at this point uh, supposedly you know? that's why we're fighting in syria against keep, what people keep, with rocks we need battleships yeah. like well, the, the argument's just so far gone yeah. these days i think the, the problem is is we've been now in three different civil wars yeah uh, and we just keep injecting ourselves iraq that's and and in syria mm-hmm. we're backing some of the rebels Right. We should take so, notes from Russia so that we don't have to get so involved in changing governments. Well, you know, and, and like I say, I, <laughs> Russia just took notes out of the CIA's yeah, book from the yeah. 70s. But yeah, I, I think I think the when the military budget, it, it is bloated. It's got to be. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, ten thousand they can hammers. do something, but they keep raising it. They keep giving them more because it's a popular thing among the general public yeah. to think. Yeah. The really cry. Think we need that rah, much rah, stuff. Rah. We, and we're we're talking about the, the budget. After it got through, I ran some other information that I saw out of some magazine that uh, that uh, uh, and it's a, it's a, here in the United States. It's a military magazine that you know talks about the military and what they're doing, and it's it's run by people that are pro military. Sure. Our budget for military this year, okay. We're number one in the, in the whole scheme of things. Um, and they rated all the countries, okay? Mm-hmm. And they rated them on all kinds of categories. If you didn't have a, a merchant marine, uh, that counted against you. But anyway, we're number one. China's no, uh, Russia's number two. Mm-hmm. China's number three, okay? If you took our budget, and add the next 19 up, 19. that equals ours. 19 <sighs> countries. If we don't already have a base on the moon, I'm gonna be mad. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanna refund, yeah. right? So, so oh, anyway, goodness gracious. Th- and that's how, mm. that's how out of sync it is. And, and by the way, you know, just, just as an aside, and, and I hear, have heard people talk about this. We are the greatest nation in the world. Nope. We're the richest. Mm. We have the best standard of living. Mm. Everything about us is great. Mm. It's been that way since World War II. Mm. It's still that way. And people can say what they want, but this is the greatest country in the world. Yeah. And our freedom is under attack right now from the Russians. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we lost a lot of that greatest nation in the world thing a long time ago, though. And uh, oh, I, I, I mean, I agree with, and, and okay, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you in yeah. that the ideals and the spirit that we live for is very much there. But I think we've, we've come a long way from everyone walking that walk. Yes, yes. And, and it's been moving worse. Yeah. I mean... We just need to get back to everybody walking that walk. Yeah. Well, how do you get back that way? I'm not sure. I think yeah. we've come too far. I hate to say that, but, yeah. uh, but you know, you're talking about uh, Medicare for everyone. Yeah. Like why? We're the only country that has our standards and, and, and all the other countries uh, that have a close to our standard of living, all of them have universal mm-hmm. medical care. Mm-hmm. And how many, and I think most of them have uh, 
free access to higher education Shasha. all the way up to higher yes. education? Yes. Because that's another one. Like we got to bring back the education yeah. part. Yeah. But anyway, like I say, let's get back to education. But yeah, yeah it's uh, and I know now our our granddaughter just graduated from Alabama. Oh. Uh, she got a congratulations. Degree. She got a degree in education. She got a job in Shelby County. She'll be teaching. I retract that. Congratulations. Good luck. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, um, love you. Right there with you. The cost of putting her through four years college was unbelievable. Oh yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. it's just it's just unreal. Oh yeah. Versus and, what you get when you get out. And, uh, like oh, uh, goodness you know, gracious. Uh, luckily, uh, you know, they worked it out and got it, and and she got it. She came out with no debt. It's like, and we had to struggle to put both our daughters through there. Two of them were in there. I mean, they were in there at the same time for a couple of years. Yeah. And. Uh, we worked it out. They came out with no debt, so that when they get a job, they didn't have to pay back loans and all that kind of stuff. So, but they worked all the way through. You have to all four years. Yeah, they worked. You have to now. Had it's, a part-time job. So, it's, so anyway, and so did our granddaughter. She had a part-time job. She worked at the university in the admissions office. So, so anyway, but everybody did their part and it worked out. So, good. But we need that. We need those kinds of things. We do. We do for I mean, sure. And I, I'm not sure that we'll ever have it because of the shape of the government itself as far as its debt goes. Yeah, how we get around that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure at all. Well, before I dive off the deep end, we've been at this for almost an hour and a half. Time flies when you're having fun. Well, it did for me. I appreciate the opportunity yeah. to sit down and talk with you. Uh, I appreciate listening to some of yours, and I hope it didn't bore you too much with some of mine. No, no, not at and, all. And I, I, uh, and I hope the people that uh, that we that listen to it uh, won't come back and jump on me and you about what we said. Well, hopefully, <laughs> if they jump on anybody, it'll be me. Yeah, well. uh, because yeah, I don't, I don't mind. It's you don't not, have a Facebook page. You don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. Because nobody's going to come up to you in person and be like, "I disagree with you." Because it, if people did that, we wouldn't be in this predicament predicament yeah yeah heaven hope they do <laughs> give you well, the opportunity to say, like say hey i still love you I, I i really enjoy conversations and we've had some at the floor bama mm -hmm. and i've enjoyed those yeah. uh, and i've enjoyed this one and and it's always great seeing you miss you from from being around the floor bama well i miss you too but i i uh i like i'd rather come here and talk to you than uh well it's a lot easier <laughs> Well, it's a lot nicer. It's a lot nicer. <laughs> but anyway, I appreciate it very much that you let me do this. Michael, well, thank you for having me in your home. This has yeah. been a blast. Well, is there is there anything that I didn't bring up that that you had hoped that I would, or anything I, that we wanna you wanna add in? I mean, I, I like giving everybody a little bit of free free reign at the end. Or if you wanna plug anything in particular. Please do. Oh, there was one other thing. Yes. What's that? Um, when I was making my notes yesterday. I had to compliment you on making notes, by the way. You're the first <laughs> yeah. person to have ever made notes. And shout out to Harrison McGinnis, because when we ran into each other, you said you were watching an episode with Harrison that brought all of this about, right? Yes. Is that right? Okay, yeah. good deal. Yeah. Had to get the backstory um, straight. <laughs> but anyway, the other things that real Republicans back in the day uh -huh. used to be for was a flat tax. Yeah, uh, yeah, flat tax issue. I, I, 
Flat tax and luxury tax are the two that I like. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah. Well, that was just that was just another thing. That that yeah. was the only thing I did mention was flat taxes. Well, I uh, think um, the the place that that would have gone would have been while we were talking about military budgets and uh, Social Security and Medicare. If all of those things were handled appropriately, yeah. then a flat tax in relationship to that conversation would yeah. be able to accomplish yeah. things like universal health care and universal yeah. uh, education. But, it's just, well, look, I'm good at time bows on stuff. I'm but, on a roll. <laughs> but, that, but that is one thing that I think that, uh, that brought a lot of attention uh, to some of the other candidates last time yeah. was universal health coverage. Yep. Single player, universal for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was, it's, it's probably going to be the only way that some of the hospitals can survive, the bigger ones. Uh, because we got too many people now that go in there, can't mm -hmm. pay their bills. Right. And the hospitals end up eating them. Yeah. And it's, we need to, okay, first off, anti-insurance. Press this button real quick so first off first off anti-insurance companies i think um regardless of how people feel about healthcare legislation there should be limitations on how uh how hard you can be screwed by an insurance company um and make no mistake about it that's exactly how i feel insurance companies screw people um i've seen it happen firsthand so <clears throat> that ties into the, you, you can't just let profiteers run racket on people. Yeah. And that goes back to corporate well, sellouts. Well, mention, and I will say this, and it's, again, uh, something that's been publicized over the last few years. Mm -hmm. In Alabama, among the highest paid CEOs in Alabama is the one at Blue Cross Blue Shield. Has been for a really long time. Really, really yeah. long time. Yeah. So. Disturbing. <laughs> and it's supposed, so to be a, disturbing. A, it's supposed to be a non-profit yeah. kind of situation. They're not the only ones. Red Cross. Yeah. Their CEO makes a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. Um, just all kinds of people. And anybody that thinks the, that it's okay for, for people to have exorbitant amounts of wealth, uh, you're just wrong. You're just wrong. You know, I'm sorry, but uh, the the state of the world is moving in the other direction, and it's too easy for us to see poverty now. And you can't justify stepping over bodies in the street. Like even, you know, no. you just you, we just can't. There's too much. There's too much atrocity in the world that's not being created by our overinflated missile budget that could be easily solved by our missile budget. Oh, yeah. And when more and more people wake up to that realization, the fact that we just keep stepping over these bodies that we keep putting in the middle of the street has to end. Like, it will end sooner or later. Yeah. It's just a matter of how many of our friends we have to leave behind for their bad decisions in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Sneaky failed threat. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know how to make a subtle post... Sorry, flinging dirt, can't help it sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, 
I mean, I can keep going all day long, but I think we should leave it there unless you have anything else to add. No, I, I'm, we got I'm done. I, like I'm said, glad you yeah. brought in the tax reform, though, because I, I like that, yeah. uh, especially in light of how horrible things have gone for um, the state of healthcare and the state of education. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really bad situation. It yeah. is. It is. But we don't want to end on a sour note. So the, the optimistic side is that uh, historically, and, and you can attest to this, I'm sure, uh, historically in, in times of these big 40-year shifts, you know, being your involvement in the early 80s, uh, I'm sure you have seen uh, or were part of the shift that came in the middle 90s. You said yeah. you got out of it because it was kind of fun. So there was a big shift there uh, that we commented on. And, and now we are in the process of hopefully having seen a dark version of, of ideals can hopefully push through to agree on something better for the world yeah. than, than what we're doing now. And I think we're moving in that direction. There's oh, a lot I of evidence so. that we are. I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Sure. I just don't know how long the tunnel is. Right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> heaven forbid. One day we'll understand the way light travels, and we'll be faster than it. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has, been, this has been wonderful. Again, Ken, uh, thank you so much for having us. I appreciate it. Jane, appreciate it. thank you very much. And uh, we'll start signing off on all of these things. So... Until next time, ladles and jelly spoons, truth, love, and peace. <laughs>